Hi, it's Robin McMahon here. I'm the host of Parenting Our Future. And if you're listening to this podcast, I want to thank you so much for being here. I also want you to know that I'm a former angry mom. I used to yell and rage and threaten and punish my kids because I wasn't getting the cooperation or the behavior that I felt I should be getting. And I struggled for many years, not knowing how to change or knowing what to do differently. It wasn't until I found the world of peaceful parenting that I learned why my kids acted the way they did and also why I was so angry and triggered. I was able to heal my anger and leave my triggers behind so that I could focus on being the calm and confident parent I always expected myself to be. I can tell you that feeling connected to your kids is the best feeling in the world. My two boys are teenagers now, and we have a strong relationship that is rooted in deep connection. And where there is connection, there's cooperation. Parenting is the most important job we do, but it's the hardest job we do. And we do it without understanding the fundamentals of the way our kids grow and develop. We do it without knowing the way their brains work or what their behavior is actually really telling us. So it's no wonder it's so hard. And it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to say, this is harder than I thought it would be. And that's where I come in. I can help you and I can support you so that you can have the cooperation and enjoy being a parent. You can book a free call with me on my website, parentingforconnection.com. And if you want to download my free guide, how to turn a no into cooperation, go to triggerfreeparents.com. I really hope you enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Hi, it's Robin McMahon here. Welcome back to another episode of Parenting Our Future. I have such a fascinating guest on that I can't wait for you to listen to and hear her story. She is incredible. So let me tell you who she is. I have Jamie Fury Higgins on the show today. And she actually was a managing director for Goldman Sachs. And that is a position that only 8% of Goldman Sachs employees will ever reach that height. And in fact, she was the highest ranking female in her department. While she was there, she retired or left Goldman Sachs in 2016. She was a member of the Women's Network Committee. She spent her days running the trainee and in internship program, recruiting, managing top equity clients, as well as $96 billion in stocks. Whoa. And then she left for many reasons that we're going to talk about. And now she is in New Jersey with her husband and her four kids, and she's trained as a coach. And now she works with teens and young adults who are just leaving college, entering the workforce, becoming professionals, and really is there to help them navigate the workforce. And she also works with those who are in midlife who are looking to reinvent themselves. And she is also a contributor to Medium and Thrive Global. And she's the author of the book, Bully Market, My Story of Money and Misogyny at Goldman Sachs. She is incredible. Welcome, Jamie. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Wow. I have to say your book is so good and also makes me so angry to read the stuff that you have in here. I was really sucked into your book 
right at the at the start on the on the book jacket and I want to read a little bit about what what it says in here that despite Goldman Sachs having the right talking points and statistics Jamie soon realized that these provided a veneer to cover up what she found to be an abusive culture once in a position of power and managing billions of dollars, Jamie realized that she had become part of the culture that she had once critiqued, but her job title and salary didn't insulate her from shocking stories of harassment and exclusionary behavior. When she was told that she was promoted only because of her gender, and when her co-workers mooed at her after she was pumping for her child, which is actually in defiance of one of her managers and superiors who told her not to breastfeed. And also when a male boss used a racial, racial slur in front of her and other colleagues and clients with zero repercussions, it really led to her having enough and eventually le leaving. And she's really sounding the alarm on the culture uh, of finance in corporate America, but it's more than just that. She is also talking about motherhood and women in the workforce. So Jamie, tell me more about what you faced and what women face in the workplace. Well, I think women there are facing a kind of structural uh, institution of toxicity. So when I first walked in the door, it was very clear that we were to be field to be the other. So number one, there were not a lot of us. And when we got on the desk and started working, my first couple of weeks, they distributed a Facebook of sorts. It was just, it was before Facebook really existed, or maybe it was in its early stages, but it was a booklet of all the new hires, their headshots. And it was sent around the firm to encourage people to welcome the new hires, maybe take them out for coffee. Well, my male colleagues created us a, a macro spreadsheet, um, you know, um, trying to analyze breast size, leg length butt shape. The big joke was, oh, let's have so-and-so for coffee. Let's mentor her. She looks really good. So oh, no. there's kind of that like systemic issue with women, um, that kind of very bro culture locker room that all women have to almost tolerate. I called it the white noise of the training desk. It was kind of always there, annoying, constant. And then what I observed was as I got more senior and I was, um, I became a manager and I had more responsibility. Once I was viewed as a threat, then the misogyny, the gender discrimination became much more targeted where things were mm -hmm. done directly to me. So mm -hmm. I think most women experience it on some level. And then if you hang out long enough and get more senior enough, then that's really when it becomes more directed. So you're either insignificant or you are someone to be taken down. Yes. I always say that we were like Barbie dolls in their world. They put labels on all of us. Right. So, you know, when I first started, before I was senior, before I was a threat, they used to call me Sister Jamie because they thought I was so innocent. I was like the nun Barbie. Then yeah. there was this woman, very smart, very sharp, not very senior, but she had kids um, and she would talk about her kids and she was mom Barbie. And then there was the woman who, you know, dressed a little more um, edgy and she was the slut Barbie. So it was like, we were all labeled 
with these very specific roles and almost bucketed in this men's world where all the men could kind of be all different things. Right. Right. And, and the, pro- I mean, the problem with that, there are many problems with that, but also when, when you apply a label to someone or something, you no longer see it for all the other many things that that person or thing is. That's right. That's right. And that's why with the guys, it's like, it was kind of yes. And yes, they were a great athlete and they were great with clients and they were smart and they were good with numbers, you know, and they were an, you know, an avid race car driver. They could be all these things, but with the women, it was like, you were just known as that one thing and all the other aspects of you. Like in example, this one woman who was the mother, she was like, Oh, She's like, you know, the mommy on the desk that she took care of all of us, even though she was just smart and sharp as everyone else. So it's that kind of limiting mindset. And I think it affects us too, right? Like, I think it would affect me if I was the mom Barbie or whatever. You'd almost live up to that label. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, you know, there's that old adage, surround yourself with the people you want to become, right? Right. And so if you're in this environment and that's the constant thing you're hearing and, you know, you're at work, at least at Goldman Sachs, at least 12 hours a day, it's like really hard for your own inner dialogue to battle all the external stimuli coming in. Right. So, you know, here's the thing. I understand that it's culture. I understand that, you know, it's, we, you know, there's sort of the shadow of a leader, right? That's a term that we used to use in my corporate career, right? But it does make a difference, right? The way leadership is, is the way it sort of trickles down to everyone else, right? So culture is really big and, um, you know, okay, so so you became part of the culture really yes. as a managing director. So you are one of the top people in the company. How did you start to perpetuate that, that same toxicity? If I can yeah. say it like that. Yeah, you know? no, absolutely. To say it. Yeah. no, absolutely. And that's, you know, I think an important message of, of our story. So here I come in as sister Jamie, because I'm really kind. I'm innocent. In fact, I didn't even want to work on Wall Street. I wanted to be a social worker. So (laughs) I kind of came in as this almost kind of helper healer role. And as I got more senior, the young women would flock to me because it'd be like, oh my God, Jamie's doing it. She's a manager. She's married. She has kids. Like I want to emulate her. And I love that part of my job where I would help them navigate the Mm. workforce. But what happened was given my role, they shared a lot of their stories and a lot of their personal stories of harassment, of gender discrimination. And they would look for me to advocate for them. And I would always start, Rob, and I would always start and I would raise it up to management. And at the end of the day, they would always dismiss the person complaining as a drama queen, um, making up lies. And again, I would push back and then they would say, listen, I'm calculating your bonus right now. I'm figuring out the next candidates for promotion. Do you really want to fight me on this? And so, you know what? I didn't. So I chose to take care of myself 
before taking care of others. And so wow. even though I was a mentor, even though I was on the women's network, I really wasn't being a true advocate and support to the other women at the firm. Because you were threatened. Absolutely. I think it's, again, um, part of the culture of this like scarcity mindset where there's only so many spots for women. So they made me believe that I had to really kind of mind my P's and Q's to get this role, even though the guys were misbehaving left, right, and center. But to me, it's like, Jamie, you only have this one shot. And so if I have to choose between me and the woman behind me, well, it's going to be me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how these men get away with this behavior over and over. And how and, I was an accomplice. Right. Well, and I mean, I, I feel like it was like, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, you know, right. the system is set up against you, but you were thrown out of meetings. You were humiliated. You were choked. Mm. You were, you were abused. Yeah. All those were, things. And I even, you know, with the, um, with the occurrence of the assault, when I was pinned against the wall by one of my colleagues, I reported it to my manager. Cause that to me really crossed the line. And <laughs> I, I was told that he wasn't going anywhere because he was a scratch golfer and he got all the management access to great golf courses all across the country and in Europe. And I am welcome to report it. However, they're not getting rid of him. So imagine how hard it would be for me to continue working with this guy after I reported him. And again, that had happened just after my first opportunity as a manager. It was my first opportunity to really prove myself. And so once again, I shut up. So that's how I felt like as I rose up the ranks, then they know that on some level you feel stuck, which was not the right mindset for me to take. I was never stuck, but at that time I thought I was, mm. and they, they exploited that right. by constantly putting me in positions where I felt I had no voice. Oh my goodness. And, 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 you know, whether you look back and say, oh, maybe I could have done it differently or not when you're in it, you're in it. And we were, we were talking beforehand a little bit about, it's almost cult-like you're brainwashed in a way, right? Like you got to protect the people, even though they're hurting you, even That's though right. they're labeling you, they're putting you down, they're disregarding you. They're not listening to you. They're laughing at you behind your back. They're mooing at you because you're, you're a mother of four, uh, you, I mean, my goodness, uh, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's awful. Now, how do we take, uh, a company like this, a culture like this and change it? What, what needs to happen? Because one of the things I just want to say is women in the workforce are so valuable. In fact, when we become mothers, we bring to the table so many skills that make us great leaders, like being able to multitask. We can, we can moderate and facilitate meetings and negotiations in a much better way. We can be empathetic. And empathy is not a weakness. It's actually like a superpower right? We are better listeners as well, right? And we will work harder for you if you allow us some flexibility, 
with our mm -hmm. schedules. Cause you know, appointments need to happen with our kids. We're usually the ones taking them. And also some transparency to say, look, I was up all night. My child had, you know, has had a fever, had a cold, whatever. I was up all night. I didn't sleep. So today's a bit of a rough day. Can I have a little bit of grace? Right. So flexibility and transparency is everything in terms of how I see it. And I want to hear what you need and what, what you see it as. And also like, how do we even change the direction of a ship like Goldman mm. Sachs, which is like the Titanic, right? Mm. Yeah. It doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. I think it's a partnership between the employer and also the employee. Mm -hmm. So big organizations like Goldman Sachs do a great job of saying all the right things yeah. um, in the you know employee handbook and they have all the right resources, but the spirit of it gets lost in translation because it's not modeled in the day to day. Right. So when we're talking about, for example, I need a little grace because I had X, Y, Z with my kids. Well, if everybody in power has a staff at home taking care of their kids where that's never um that's never a part of their life that they have to attend to during the day well it's really hard to have that understanding so how do you get some of that modeled i think it's through diversity up along the pipeline and an right. encouragement of that so i'll give you one little anecdote years ago goldman sachs had this people survey and of course, what always so a people survey was everyone in the firm was given the survey and you, you know, rank your experience at the firm and big shocker, work-life balance was abysmal. Well, so, 12 hours a day. Yeah. <laughs> so my partner comes out and says, okay, we have to do something with work-life balance. Um, once a week, everyone can leave at four o'clock, go home, have fun with your families. Great. Well, guess what? The partner never left. Oh, so, so therefore nobody else ever left. Right. So it's got to, you can't just say it. You have to model it because people are looking mm. at the glass offices for that kind of unspoken permission. Totally. So if people don't see people in the glass offices doing stuff with their family, or it doesn't even have to be with their family doing yeah. something out of the office. That's their own. That's the only way that they're going to really feel permission to do it themselves. So I think it's having the goals at the top level and making sure leadership does it along the way and modeling it at the, so the the day-to-day -day worker feels empowered to do it. And I think the day-to-day -day worker needs to be able to be able to articulate those needs. But again, they're only gonna be able to do that officially if they see other people doing it at all levels of the firm. So that's why, I think when companies need to look at the future of their culture, it's kind of establishing this pipeline of talent that walks the talk of the principles they want to see in terms of balance, family life, mental health, not just saying it's available, actually showing people utilize it at all levels of the organization. Yeah, if, I agree. When I was a working mother there, wouldn't have would it would not it have been great for that to be celebrated because that would have been oh my gosh look at Jamie she's doing so well and she has kids instead i was advised to take the pictures of my children off my desk wow 
while the guys were able to have their photos from the ninth tee from the golf Ugh. tournament. So again, it's those little messages that mm. show it's okay. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And, 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 you know, you talk about, so really that, that goes back to that shadow of a leader, right? That's you know, right. You know, that, that has a massive impact. And, and I look at this too, from a parenting perspective, right? Like we're always looking up at somebody above us to see what to do, what to say, how to act. Right. And we have these mirror neurons in our brain. So the same thing with parents, right? We we're always looking at our parents to see what to say, think, do, you know, all those things. Right. So it really does matter as a leader. So for those people who are listening, who are leaders, you know, think about that. And the other thing too, you, you mentioned it, and I just, I have to share a story. Uh, you mentioned about the one day a week you can go home at four. Wow. How generous. Uh, and we had the same thing on, there were early Fridays and early Fridays were you leave at, I think it was two o'clock. And the thing is, is that there is this group of, you know, mid managers who were too busy to leave at two but it was the admin staff for the most part that would leave it too, because they're like, well, I'm entitled to this. I'm supposed to. Right. And there would be little comments like, Oh, 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 right on the nose. Oh, you're leaving right now. Oh, Oh, must be nice. Okay. Go, go enjoy your short Friday while everybody else is like slogging away at their desks and, and stuff. So like shaming them for taking a benefit that is rightly theirs. That's right. It's Total the crap. same thing. It's the same <laughs> exact crap. thing. And interesting too, what you said about, you know, you know, you, you know, you look up to parents, it's like, as parents, we know we're modeling for our kids. Exactly. How many times do you encounter parents who are struggling with the way their kids are behaving? And you're kind of like, they're behaving just like you. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. So it, it's kind of similar. I mean, I think the the patterns we set as parents for our children are not too dissimilar from the parents we expect from our management with employees. Yeah. It's all about modeling and setting good examples. Yeah. Well, and you and can't expect behavior if you're not setting the example for it. Right. And what makes a great parent makes a great leader, you know, right. listening, empathy, compassion, you know, just being able to put yourself in the other person's shoes, even if you don't agree, even if you have no experience, like, wow, Jamie, it must be hard to have a child so little that you have to still breastfeed them and you're coming to work every day. Wow. I can't imagine how hard that would be. Like, can we just take a second to like, know that, you know, even if you have no experience and you have a staff at home looking after your children, you know, I mean, that's just crazy. But here's the thing that I'm excited about is that Gen Z, the, you know, the, the, the workforce that you are coaching right now, right the the teenagers the the people in college all of this they are saying oh hell no i am That's not going to have the same experience as my parents because they are watching us come home exhausted and i mean put down and deflated and frustrated you know they see that because when we finally come home we can just let it all we can drop the armor that we put up Mm. And they're saying, no, I will not have this work-life mismatch. I won't have my boss treat me like I refuse. If anybody moves at me, I am out of there so fast. So I think we're, you know, workplaces have no choice but to change because this next workforce will not put up with it. 
A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And that's what's giving me the most hope for the future. Yeah. You know, at, at Goldman Sachs, for example, I think it might be their second business principle that their most important asset is their people. Well, guess what? Their people are going to be asking for something different. And at some point, the company is going to have to meld and change for them, just like all companies in corporate all America are going to have to, or they're going to suffer and not get the talent, the best talent they want. Exactly. And we, you, you want to, you want to recruit the best talent. You want to retain the best talent, right? It's not just getting them. You've got to keep them going. That's so right. this is, and this is such a timely discussion, you know, when we're on the heels of the great resignation, there's a lot of talk about quiet quitting and it's all real. And, and, and I think quiet quitting gets a bit of a bad rap and it's a gen, it, it really became popular with Gen Z because they're like, no, I am not working more than you pay me mm. for. And, and I think, you know, I, I want to use that as a jumping off point too, because there is a point at which the money just isn't worth it, you know? Mm. And, and I want to talk a little bit about that with you because, you know, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Is it for the money? Is it, is it for the money? Is it for the power? Or is it because it's what we think we should be doing without even thinking about it? Or is it that we feel obligated to because our parents wanted that for us. I think it's all of those and more maybe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, it was definitely, like I said earlier, I wanted to be a social worker, but I chose that job because my family, my parents grew up with nothing. They grew up in poverty. They really were the American dream. I got to go to a private school. They, you know, scribbed and saved and, yeah. you know, took out loans to pay for it. And their mantra was every generation must do better. And yeah. I had an older brother and sister. They're 10 and nine years older than me. And my brother always said, you know, Jamie, you're elevating this family. Not that they weren't successful, but my gosh, for someone like me without any connection, to get a job at Goldman, which is, they say, harder to get into than Harvard. It was like such a boon for my family. Yeah. And so I felt like I was really working for them. And then, of course, yeah. when I had a family of my own, that obligation you know, extended to my family I was creating. But my brother, who would always talk to me, he would say, run the baton as far as you can hold on to the baton and run the race as far as you can. And I decided I would do that, but I would never hand that baton to anyone else, that obligation to mm -hmm. anyone else. Like my children have to make the choices that are for them, mm. not, not for anyone else. Cause that is a slippery slope. And I don't think it ever ends well. No. And, and there's, there's generations of people who are working jobs that they never wanted to work, but because of that family obligation, they do it. And we have to be careful as parents now not to run our own agenda because we're coming from a place of fear or lack. And, and it's always a good intention. Like I want the best for you, Jamie. I want you to have a job where written in your contract is a $40,000 raise a year raise uh, bonus, sorry, but you get 80, you know, because right. you're so good because you work so hard, but actually you were killing yourself because you would, you were there first in first out, right? First person in last person. Person out. out, sorry, first in, last out. out. And 
for what you had no life, right? For what? For what? For what? And, you know, my mom, although she really encouraged me to work there as my career went on, as she saw the destruction it was causing in my home life, in my mental health, you know, she finally encouraged me to leave. And she said, you know, Jamie, you can find another way to make money, but you can't make any more time. And time is the most precious resource. It is not renewable. You know, we, we don't even know how much we have at any given moment because we don't know when our, when our timeline ends. So I think it's really important as parents to, I mean, listen, you want them to be successful. I want all my kids to be able to take care of themselves clothe themselves, house themselves, all those basic things. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, if you really feel passionate and excited about your career, you have the longevity. And if you have the longevity, it's like, you could just keep on working and be happy doing it. It's, it's working becomes less of a drag and more of a joy. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I wonder if I had ever been a social worker, would I have made those wall street bonuses? No, but maybe I would have had a you know, 50 year career that was yeah. vibrant and exciting that I could keep on doing for years and years and years. That's right. That's right. Well, and and we do have to be careful, right? That we, that we are listening to our kids because it's not about us. It's about you as a human. And yes, you did the stuff and you, you, you had that experience and now you're able to help people through this. And the reality is, is that the days of us going to post-secondary school, university, then to a job that we stay in for the rest of their, our lives, it doesn't happen that way anymore. And no. we also have to remember that the, that success is, well, however you define it. Success, That's right. Right. And also the jobs of tomorrow that might be a successful job with air quotes aren't even invented yet. We don't even know Mm. what they're going to be yet. So many of these jobs are, I mean, I didn't, this job didn't exist that I have before a podcaster, you know, a a parenting coach, like none of that existed before when I was in high school looking at the future. So, you know, we also have to like have a little bit of trust and faith Mm. that, that things are going to work out the way they're supposed to work out with our kids. And we're, and, and just to always be there for them. That's right to support them and help them work it out is really all they need from us. Yeah. And, and I think that abundance mindset that there are, you know, for me and my career, it was such a scarcity mindset. It was so myopic, like, this is what you have to do. And this is the only opportunity to do it. But to your point, we don't even know what's out there yet. Let's just keep our eyes and ears open to all the possibilities and think about what our children are really good at. Just the, what they're good at, what they're passionate about, and what aligns with their values, what really makes them excited based on their values. And then there's probably so many different roads that you can take for potential careers. I mean, can you imagine what it would be like if every parent was like, tell me what you love, tell me what you're passionate about. Let's find you a job in that area. Wow. Like what? That's incredible, right? Oh, one of the first questions I ask my coaching clients is, "What do you want?" And and they're like, "What? What? Yeah. Like, what do you want?" And they are absolutely dumbfounded by the question and petrified because 
They've never had the luxury of just putting into words, just doing a little soul searching of what is it that I want? Yeah. Like, I have no idea. I don't know. No one's ever asked me like, what a tragedy. What a tragedy. Yeah. So I want to talk about moms for a second, because really, you know, working moms is who I really talk to, right? Working moms with difficult kids. So we haven't talked about your kids, but one thing I want to talk about is you as a mom and why you have a strainer on your wall. What's that about? Oh, my strainer. (laughs) So, um, I really find myself always overextending and always feeling the need to be a part of everything. And so I put a strainer on my wall, a real small one. And anytime I am asked to do anything, I look at the strainer and I strain it in my mind through my values. Mm -hmm. Meaning if I devote my time to this, whether it's for paid or unpaid work, what am I going to really get out of it? And if I, if, is it going to carry through with my values? Do my values end up there once the activity gets strained? Right. Mm. And if the answer is no, then I, most of the time, very gently and kindly say yes. no to those opportunities. So I really feel like time is precious. Mm-hmm. I have tried, but I cannot figure out how to make more than 24 hours in a day. Right. And so therefore, again, time is that precious unrenewable resource. And we need to make sure that everything we're spending our time on is with intention and aligns with our values. Mm. Which includes rest, I would like to say, which also includes taking a nap, you know, reading a book, having a cup of tea. That's right. It has to do with, you know, making sure you're spending your free time with people who fill you up, who align with their values and not dragging you down, you know, Um, whether it be even phone chats with friends or out to dinner um, and what we do for our kids, Mm -hmm. you know, we, you know, um, if there's a party and I have to bring something for my kids, do I have to bake it? Does that, does that time of baking something really going to transfer? Are my kids going to really notice? If not, can I just buy something? Instead, little things like that, I think, and I'm always doing it by straining it through my values and making sure that in the end, my values are still with me and that they're part of the, they're part of the experience. And I'm guessing one of your values is not impressing other moms. No, no. No, because you know what? We just got to embrace who we are. Like, yep, I did not do, I did not make these brownies or yes, I made them from a mix. They're delicious because I made them from a mix and I don't do stuff. You know, I, you know, I don't do that. I'm going to quote my husband's late grandmother who said, who am I to argue with Betty Crocker? Exactly. She figured it out for us. She figured, who, who am I to say I'm better than Betty Crocker? Exactly. Exactly. But I think, you know, really the, the point that you and I are both trying to make is that this facade of perfectionism has to go. We need to stop trying to be perfect. And the less perfect we are, the more space it opens up for another woman who is just like us, who is talented, who is intelligent who is all of the things to just not hustle for everyone's approval. Mm. Um, Yes. And I feel like save the perfection for the things that matter. Mm. And most of the time, good enough is good enough. And 
that delta, that difference between the time you are spending on good enough to perfection can be reinvested in yourself into things that align with your values. And then also to your point about other mothers, I can't tell you how many times women have come up to me and said, oh my gosh, thank you for being so real. I just feel like I could just be myself now and I don't have to put on a charade because the real crazy part of it all is I think so many people are putting on charades for each other. And I don't think the majority of them want to even put on charades. So if one person could just be real, I think a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, me too. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And imagine if the perfect mom was out there, right? Wouldn't we hate her? She doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. She doesn't exist. You're like, oh, must be nice. You got it all together. You know, must be nice, right? But she doesn't because we are all just, we are all messy humans. Exactly. We are all messy humans. And you know what? There are some women that always look just so, and that's wonderful because that must align with their values. I hope it does. I hope that aligns with their values and that makes them happy to do that. But you know what? They struggle too. We all struggle. You know, it's so funny. A friend of mine, she, um, she has such beautiful talents with, you know, she will make a lunch for her kids. That's all in like a Dr. Seuss theme. She does all this stuff. Anyway, she's, she's just a wonderful human, wonderful mother. And when she comes over to my house, she's like, your house is always so clean. Well, a, I just cleaned it just, just because you were coming over one and two, I'm like, can you just give me that? just give me that. Cause I'm screwing up in a bunch of other areas. Just like, don't, don't think that I'm somehow special because we like to clean, you know, which we do my husband, especially, but don't, don't somehow put me in a different bucket because my house is clean. I am just give me that, like, just allow me to have that one win because I promise you I'm letting multiple people down in multiple different areas, you know? But that's relatable because all of us, I mean, it's just, like I said, only 24 hours in a day. Yeah. Um, And I think it's just important that we all as parents, as humans, that we get a little more comfortable with good enough. And again, save the perfection for what really matters and use that extra time to fill ourselves up, to have the energy to fill others up. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, and I want to add one thing too, you know, as we're, we're in the hustle and we're doing things and we're, we're, we're almost on autopilot. I think it's important for us to stop for a moment and just say, why am I doing this? Why am Mm -hmm. I killing myself baking these cupcakes when I can just go and, and, and buy them? Like, why am I allowing myself to be treated this way? Is it for a paycheck? Is it for power? Like we, you know, we already talked about, is it status? Is it like, why am I doing this? And does this fit my values? Is it aligned with my values? I mean, that's really why I asked you about that strainer, because I think it's really important that we do look at our values. Our values can really help us navigate a life that is fulfilling. That's right. Yeah. And what you say no to it, you're saying yes to you. That's right. Yeah. And it's no wonder I was so miserable at Goldman Sachs for 18 years because it was completely counter to my values. And so that's why every decision I make, I run through that mental filter yeah. and I look at that filter on my on my wall to say, okay, is this aligning with my values? And if not, just move on. Yeah. 
Wow. I, I know we could talk for hours about how, you know, the horribleness that you have, uh, you know, experienced, lived through. And I, I just think it's so exciting to talk to somebody who has taken their pain, their experience and really transformed it to work with the youth, to work with college graduates and even women who are you know, in midlife, making a pivot saying, hold on, I have been doing this hustle and I don't want to do this. In fact, I never wanted to do this, you know, and, and I just want to say one last thing that as you're raising your children, please listen to them for what they want, Mm. because it will hurt them. If you don't, if you run your own agenda, if you run what you think, you know, best, and you are not listening to who they are, it's going to create disconnection. It's going to create a rift in your relationship. And we don't want our kids to be with us for just those 18 years. We want them to be with us for life. We want to have relationships forever. And we want them to be happy, Mm. not just have a fat bank account, right? That's right. That's right. And I would add to that, that I wonder if that focus, that, that, you know, making the agenda for your kids is informed by the fact that maybe parents aren't making an agenda for themselves. No. Yes, of course. Because we're just busy managing our kids' life that we're not looking at our own. Is that what you mean? Yeah. And so maybe if we really looked at our own lives and made sure we were asking ourselves, well, what is it that I want? And we're able to align ourselves with activities, with work, with hobbies that fulfilled us, that maybe it would be easier for us to ask, what is it that you want my child? Yeah, it's a really good point. Because I wonder if sometimes that frustration of I couldn't do what I want, then not in a negative way, but then it's just like, well, I didn't have control over my experience. So Learn from my mistakes. You have to do X, Y, Z. Yeah. As opposed to, it's never too late to ask yourself what you want. Jamie, that is brilliant. It's so true. I've never articulated it that way. And I love what you just did. And now I'm going to use it. I hope you don't mind. Please. But it's, it's so, it's so, so true. And, you know, I see it in sports. I see parents who just go berserk when their child doesn't measure up or does, I don't, I mean, it's just, it's, it can be so toxic. Mm. Oh Mm. my goodness. Well, this has been such a great conversation and I love the work that you're doing. So people can find you at Mm jamiefiorehiggins.com. Your book is called the bully bully market, my story Mm -hmm. of money and misogyny at Goldman Sachs. And, uh, it is a fascinating book. It's really, really good. You are a great storyteller and, um, I, I loved reading it. So, um, you know, for anybody who, who wants some inspiration and wants, you know, to maybe look at something different, you know, I'd love for you to check out Jamie's book and, you know, go to her website. She's on Instagram. She's on Twitter. All of that is in the show notes. And, uh, and I just want to say, thank you so much. Do you have any last words for our listeners? Uh, I'm just so grateful to be here. And I just think that as parents, um, we have an ability to really think about how we want to show up for our kids, but also how we want to show up for ourselves. So, you know, when I reflect back on my book, 
we're talking about values. I think it's a cautionary tale of when you might give up 20 years of, our, of your life doing work that doesn't align with your goals. So it's not too late. There is no um, expiration date on opportunity, you know, and, you know, do the work for yourself too. I always say parenting is like when you go on an airplane, you, you know, and they talk about the oxygen mask, you got to put yeah. it on yourself before you put it on your kids. So parenting is hard, but make sure you're taking care of yourself. You're filtering um, yeah. your choices. You're not striving for, for perfection all the time. And, you know, right. knowing that good enough is good enough most of the time. Yes. Oh, it's such wise words. And for somebody who's lived it, I think it's mm. really important to hear that from you and learn from Jamie. Don't, you know, you don't have to do it yourself. Just, you know, follow, follow those values you have. Uh, and, and I know that can be scary to mm. make a pivot mid midlife, mid career. I've done it too. It's scary. It's scary. And there's lots of ups and downs and, you know, there's also a lot of really great that can come out of it. So yeah. Jamie, thank you so much for being here and thank you for helping all of us get clear thank on our you. values and, you know, get clear on, on what we see for ourselves and what we want for our kids. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you like my work, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who like my content and want more, visit me at yellingcurebook.com to get your copy of my book and to find other resources to help you. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace and connection. Thank you.